in the context of using data to ensure relevance, I think that's one of the big advantages of connected television versus the traditional version. Traditional TV arguably was just spray and pray. You knew as a marketer when you were buying TV that there was an incredible amount of wastage of just people who who are never going to be in market to buy your thing. And you just accepted it because there was not really any alternative. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. On this episode of the Marketing Expedition Podcast, I get to speak with Tony Marlowe, and he is the Global Chief Marketing Officer at LG Ads. He previously worked at Integral Ad Science as a Chief Marketing Officer, and Tony attended the University of Wollongong. We're going to talk about the big shift in TV and the future of connected television, and we have a lot in store for you. This podcast is full of things that you need to know, so stay tuned for that. First, it's time for our Marketing Essentials Moment, the basics that you need to help you continue to build your brand and your bottom line. Today's topic, I want to talk about estimating as an agency and the intricacies that go into that and the importance of change orders and things that can come up, contingencies, all the things that we go through when it's time to work together. If you were to hire us or any agency, there is so much involved that I wanted to discuss it with you to give you some insight into kind of what we go through when we do this process together and understand how we can get better at it together if we are going to continue to work on an ongoing basis. So when we want to work with a potential client, it's always wonderful when we first get to do a marketing audit to understand what's been working, what's not been working. And of course, we do the audits. We do charge for them. And the reason for that is because we want to invest our time and resources to really understand your brand and all the things that you've been doing. Take a look under the hood, if you will, and understand what's going on, get into the analytics, see where we can benchmark. And it also helps us set the stage for knowing what we need to do to then give you recommendations based on our findings, right? So we facilitate the marketing audit process, go through that in in detail, And then as a result of that, ideally, then we come up with our best recommendations and some budget. We start off with ballpark figures to make those decisions and then how how we prioritize those together. So let's say that we're at that phase. We're ready to estimate what our recommendations are. And now we need to understand what and how we're going to come up with accurate estimating just to know that we're getting there, right? And the key thing to understand, it is an estimate, not an exact science, because sometimes we don't know what we don't know yet. Sometimes weather can be an impact if we have a shoot scheduled and then we have to reschedule, or maybe, uh, you know, human resources is an issue where we hired an actor that can't be available because of, I don't know, a pandemic or whatever, right? All kinds of factors that are unknown that we don't know yet can change 
the the pricing because of uh, some things that I don't know. Sometimes new ideas come to, to fruition that didn't come from before. And so now we have some, you know, better ways or different ways or different ideas of things that could make the project even better or the campaign even better. And so just thinking for a moment that there are always opportunities to have a change in scope, to have those change orders in the end, and sometimes it can even be a reduction in costs because we found a better way or maybe, um, you know, found a different uh, music source that's not going to cost as much or whatever. Um, those are always fun when we can find ways to save money. But oftentimes, sometimes can, you know, find more costs. So we do our very best at the onset to make sure that we can get as accurate as possible. And we work with you to set some expectations to understand what we're wanting to do, how we're going to accomplish the goals in helping you further your brand and build your marketing. And whether it's to build awareness or maybe it's to promote an event, uh, maybe it's, you know, who knows what, right? It's It could be whatever, maybe it's a sales marketing tactic uh, campaign that we're taking on maybe it's digital advertising it can be any number of things and a combination of all those things too for a full campaign so better estimates require better information and we are going to ask a lot of questions and the more information you can provide to us when we're estimating the better off we're going to be and then we can get even more effective with being very much more elaborate in what we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you could you could liken it to how a home builder is going to build a home and they need, you know, the blueprints, the foundation in order to understand what kind of materials it's going to take, what kind of resources, what kind of tools it will take, right? All of those things. And so they put together the costs and the timeline, just like we do when we're building your marketing campaign and or a video project or, you know, we're designing a logo, whatever it is. We want to understand first what we need, what those requirements are. And sometimes people will supply us with a budget that they have and we can work backwards to say, this is what we are able to accomplish within that budget that you have. And sometimes people say, well, I don't know what it's going to take to do all of the things that we need. We know we need to get done. So give me an estimate on all of those things so that we can make some decisions based on that estimate. Now, in a perfect world, we would be able to do all the things that we set out in the marketing audit to say that we needed to do, but we recognize that sometimes things have to go in phases over time um, with a timeline. Maybe we can accomplish some of the top five priorities this year, and then next year we can do more once we've established these things and set the stage. Sometimes we're starting from scratch and have to do some things as an initial injection right up front to then be able to then actually build the marketing campaign based on, you know, if you don't have a website, for example, maybe that's the first thing that we need to do. And those are some one-time costs. Well, they've got some ongoing maintenance, of course, but maybe that initial upfront thing that we need to build, then we've established the scope of work and then what that scope of work is going to be. Then we need to agree on it and understand with that agreement that initially this is what we set out to do. Again, we can make some discoveries along the way and there's maybe some things with different iterations that come about that, um, you know, maybe there's a new software, a new tool or a new um, avenue for us to advertise that was never, that never existed before or that, you know, we discovered along the way that might be really excellent for your campaign. 
So just thinking about, okay, there's some contingency involved. There's, um, you know, the, the best information that we have at the time. Maybe we bring in consultation or we have other people involved. We set out with some subcontractors if we don't have it internally with our own agency staff. Maybe we want to have somebody compose some music for us, or maybe we need a voiceover talent. And the one that we really want is going to cost us more than what we originally estimated, but it's the one we chose and we really want them versus going to somebody else that maybe won't charge as much. Maybe it's the the print of the print quality that we originally estimate. Maybe the cost of paper went up. I mean, there's just so many different parameters and things that can change over time. So it's really important to have that understanding when you work with an agency that sometimes scope does happen. And we try to avoid what's called scope creep, where, you know, you've created something and then they the client wants to nitpick it and change it and change it and change it. And then, you know, sometimes we just get back to where we were to begin with. Or maybe it's having 12 different opinions involved on, a, a you know, a piece of art artwork that we create and having 12 different iterations of it because everyone has a different opinion. And so just really understanding how it's going to help you be the most efficient, most cost effective, if only you have a couple people making those decisions rather than having it be designed by committee kind of thing. that does cost more because inevitably sometimes people will send out, you know, if we give three different options and somebody likes this piece of that artwork and that piece of that artwork, and then they say, hey, why can't can't we just combine it all together? And we're like, yeah, no, that's not always how we want to do it because maybe this has a different perception and meaning than this other piece of artwork. So there's lots of things that can save you money if you Think about how you can work with your agency, asking those questions, being able to communicate and articulate the things that you can share with your agency can really help make sure that those ranges of estimates and costs are more realistic. Sometimes when people come back with us to have many, 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 many different rounds of revisions, it becomes costly because now we're working so hard to get there. And, and you know, maybe all of that could have been avoided if we could really articulate what it is that we're wanting to accomplish and what our goals are. And then just trusting those who are experts in our field, the designers, the brand managers, the account managers, to be able to execute and fulfill the goals that we all set together, right? So thinking about those things are going to be really helpful in creating a accurate estimate and being in that working relationship on an ongoing basis. And of course, trust is huge. If you can trust the experts to do what needs to get done, it's going to be much more efficient and cost effective for you. So those are some things. And then the importance of change orders. I, you know, setting that expectation up front, just letting people know that sometimes we do build in a bit of a contingency because the unknowns happen. They come up and sometimes even for the better. So we want to make sure that you are prepared for understanding that's going to happen. You know, maybe in a building situation, you want granite countertops instead of Formica. I don't know. Maybe you want a different, you know, who knows? Maybe you want a beautiful French doors versus just a regular door. And that's going to be a change order because that's not what we originally thought we were wanting in our vision. But then we saw these beautiful doors when we did a parade of homes and we thought, I would love those doors. And now we need to change the blueprints to change it, to make it a wider door space, whatever right? You get the idea. Sometimes there's things that do come up and um, recognize that if you're asking for more, 
then likely you're going to need to pay for more, right? Unless we can, you know, omit something else to then replace it with something new that we want instead um, to still stay within the original budget. That can happen too, but those are all change orders, right? We're going to take away something else, put something new in to replace that something else. All of those things can really be, you know, tracked in writing is super helpful and approved process. The ideal scenario is that we make the change order before anything goes over budget, right? That we make sure that we're on track and on tune and in alignment with it. And, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes we underestimate things that we think will take less time than what they might take. So when that happens, we just need to be open and honest with the communication. And, you know, sometimes we will make concessions for it or, you know, but then when people are asking for more, we have to then say, hey, we've already, you know, given you more for this because we underestimated it. What would be the likelihood if now that we're asking for more in this other area, whatever, right? So assessing it, communicating, uh, understanding. Those are some things that come up in our process, in the creative process. As we facilitate this beautiful creative process, we want to make sure that we identify those areas that could be potential maybe risks and say, you know, this is something I'm not exactly 100% sure that we know what it's going to cost to take this until we get into it. Actually, we're there and we're doing it. We communicate, hey, we're getting close on budget. Here's some things that, you know, could impact us if we're to do this path or this path. Or maybe sometimes we need to reevaluate where we're at and be able to stay within the budget. Um, but we don't want to cut corners and we don't want to cheapen it or, you know, lessen the value. So lots of communication and expectations can be help helped when we set these up front and when changes do occur, you know, we have to, you know, revise the estimate and make sure everyone's on board with it and understands and don't get upset, right? Don't get upset over it because we know that things can happen that way where they can change, but it's our job to be as realistic as we possibly can. And after doing this for 20 years, you know, figuring out what takes more time than, than not, or if we're, you know, consistently underestimating something that we need to, you know, bump up the estimate for, for next time, because we've learned our, you know, from our past, what has happened, all of those things and tracking our time and our efforts and our value and being able to make things more efficient along the way just helps our clients out when we can do even more. So the more we do, the better we get, the better we get, the more we can do. <laughs> anyway, so just wanted to have a conversation about estimating and the process and how you can help if you were to be a potential client for an agency, what that looks like for you. Or maybe you are an agency owner or you're somebody who does estimates for creative projects. Hopefully this is something that you can learn more as you go through those processes and understand what the common pitfalls are or areas that uh, consistently catch you when you are in the midst of the work and realizing, going back and looking at trends that occur on an ongoing basis, Use, utilizing the data that you have available to you. If you're tracking things well, what gets measured gets treasured, right? I say measure what you treasure, dump what you don't, and automate what you hate. All right, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Pepper Shock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition Community. And we're going to go on a marketing journey today with Tony Marlowe. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hi, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I just love to uh, have a bit of a background with our viewers. I know I've got your bio, but uh, why don't you share just a little bit more about you and kind of how you got to where you are and what you're doing today? Sure. Well, right now I'm the the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer for LG Ad Solutions. Um, we're essentially a connected television advertising company. We can we can talk a little bit more about that later. But as you may have guessed, I I am not. Uh, someone who grew up in the US. I'm originally from Australia. And if I rewind all the way back, for, for me, my career really started it, it, with my first job out of university. I, I had a job at this small strategic consultancy. It was founded by a former McKinsey person. Um, and we, we did a variety of projects within the finance industry, other industries, but I was always drawn to these tech projects. And specifically, and I'm going to completely date myself, so apologies there. <laughs> but um, I remember working with a with a wireless company, and I used to love doing these projects. And we we would do things like work on these projects to inform marketing campaigns, which essentially were aimed at convincing people they might need the internet on their mobile phone. Right? It's it's hard to believe. What? There was, <laughs> hard to believe there was a point in time where we we needed some coaxing on that given that we're glued to them 24 7 now but for me that's where i knew i, I had the the digital bug for, for lack of a better description i knew this is how i wanted to spend my career so i spent a few years at that consultancy from there i joined a company called net ratings which was acquired by nielsen it became nielsen net ratings it then also became nielsen online i believe it's just sort of a part of the broader media division to this day but I was still based in Sydney at that time. Um, and we were doing all sorts of things for, for that, that moment where marketers were trying to decode the early days of the internet. How can they use that platform for making meaningful connections with their respective audiences? How can they do it well? And so we would do a lot of work to inform that custom pieces of research, measurement of campaigns. And in a really roundabout way, that's kind of how I ended up in the US because Along with this super talented team, I invented a, a new way to measure the impact of online advertising. And we thought it was super sophisticated. And for, for the time, it probably was. You know, by today's standards, it's pretty pedestrian, pretty standard, actually. But um, the brand impact of campaigns and the measurement thereof at that point in time was, was in its infancy. It was being done really differently in different geographies. So the way it was done in Asia Pacific was really different to the US, was really different to, to Europe. Um, and so what we had created had offered Nielsen the potential to unify the way they do it globally. And so that, that prospect had me traveling to New York a lot, which was Nielsen's headquarters. I remember meeting with the, the CEO and the president of the international business. And we were, we were talking about how we could use this new invention to create that consistency. But anyway, I was on one of these trips and it was a, a mutual uh, friend introduced me to this guy who worked at Yahoo. And she essentially said, hey, you two are nerds. Why don't you go have a coffee? <laughs> and so we did. And it was it was five or six weeks later, I was living in New York working for Yahoo. And um, so I spent I spent a good chunk of time there. I was there for eight, eight plus years. When I started with Yahoo, I was doing a really similar thing to what I described at Nielsen. So really evangelizing digital as a medium, really helping marketers understand this time how to use Yahoo. Um, to make those connections. And so when I joined, I was doing that. By the time I left, I was running the B2B marketing practice. So basically the CMO for the B2B marketing side of things. Um, did a brief stint as CMO at a company called Data Axel, which is in the big data space. 
Um, prior to joining LG, my, my most immediate position, I was uh, CMO at IAS. So I was a part of the executive team. We took that company public in the summer of 2021, um, really transformed that brand of one that was just sort of a verification player into one that was a more holistic media quality player. Um, then after the you know mission complete, taking the company public, it was time to really think about what comes next. And I was really only considering one space and that was connected TV. And I'm, I'm, I feel really lucky, really privileged to have the opportunity to, to serve as the CMO at LG Ad Solutions. Hmm. And so all of these experiences and taking companies public and building brands and, you know, getting mobile internet and advertising all together has led you to where you are now. And why don't you describe a little bit more about what you do uh, at LG as far as you utilizing, you know, connected TV and, and things that you're doing now. Yeah. And I mentioned this a little bit at the top of the conversation. Basically, we're a CTV advertising company. So we have the media footprint of 150 million smart TVs worldwide. It's 35 million in the US. And we have the ability to deliver ads. So think traditional 15, 30 second ads that you might be used to with traditional TV but also things like enhanced native ad units within the user interface and also extending the media footprint onto other devices within, within an LG TV home. Um, and we know that the vast majority of people when they're watching TV, they're multitasking. We, we did a piece of research recently and we found 93% of people, at least some of the time, are multitasking with another device. So being present on that biggest screen in the home, I think is non-negotiable. But also having a recognition as a marketer that there is a lot of co-viewing that's going on and how can you lean into that? And how can you create these great experiences, whether they're shoppable experiences or even just consistent messaging across platforms? And so we enable all of those things. Um, I would also say a lot of the industry really knows LG ads um, for our ACR data. For the uninitiated, that's automatic content recognition. I like to think of it as Shazam for your TV. So rather than needing a panel for measurement as, as was required in the past for linear TV, whether these set top boxes that are out there, you get a small sort of few thousand households that try and represent millions. We have this Shazam like feature that uses both audio and video to recognize content, to recognize ads. And so we can target based off that viewership and we can measure based off that viewership as well. So that's what a lot of the, the marketing industry thinks of us as offering and one of those really compelling reasons to work with us. That's amazing. So give me an example of maybe somebody that would advertise on LG ads. What, what kind of um, case study or use case could an advertiser do? What would happen how could you know that it's effective, that kind of thing? Yeah, and I won't play favorite, so I won't name check anyone, but think uh, Fortune 500 companies. Like basically, we're not going to be working with anyone that, that your average person is unfamiliar with as a brand. It's, it's that mm -hmm. profile of advertiser. Um, so what, I'm, what I might do rather than focus on that, I, I think there's some really interesting things that are, that are a little different. So for example, Hollywood really loves some of the solutions that we offer. So I started to talk about native within the TV. We, and we, we found in, in a recent study called The Big Shift, we, we found a really interesting piece of research. It, it kind of makes me laugh, but also it, it rings pretty true. We found that on average, it took five minutes, 42 seconds. That's almost six minutes 
between turning the TV on and then ultimately landing on something to watch. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that rings true for you, Ray. Yeah, well, you know, I could probably testify to that, you know, <laughs> searching around, seeing what I want to watch, maybe looking at things I already watched, or maybe it's the suggestions of what comes up to say, oh, because you watch this, you could watch that. And then watching the little preview. Yeah, I think six, <laughs> six minutes is probably a good, uh, you know, verification there for sure. <laughs> I like it. You know the drill. Um, so if you're if you're a Hollywood studio, maybe you have this latest blockbuster that's available for stream. You can actually promote that within the UI. So that's a type of advertising that we offer. And it's not always Hollywood. It could be it could be one of the streaming apps wants to promote that they're available for download. But we do know there's this window of time where people are having trouble with discovery. And helping them discover is actually a really relevant, really useful way to advertise. And so one of the, while there are a huge list of really obvious ways companies work with us, I think one of the non-obvious ways is, is that leveraging this native interface to help users with that discovery. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen that before where I would see a preview to another show on before the show that I selected plays, right? So that's kind of kind of one one way that you're suggesting that people could use your your tool, yeah? Yeah, completely. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and then of course, obviously, there are content discovery engines and things like that. But in terms of advertising, just being front and center in a super rich format as people turn on their TV. And in a way that's native, that's just is natural for the experience that they're having. It just works really well. And so you, part of your question, you're like, how do people know it works? The, the measurability of those things is very high um, where, you know, for a range of different use cases, whether you're a brand marketer, whether you're a performance marketer. Uh, and I would even say nowadays, and this, this was something I was talking about with someone else recently. I think many marketers aren't even forced to choose anymore. Like it used to be you had to be a pure brand player or a pure performance player. I think now with connected television, we have the opportunity as marketers to be performance storytellers. And you can kind of check both boxes off. You can you can have that high impact brand style impact, but you can measure it too. Yeah, no, it integrates so well and seamlessly and sometimes the viewer doesn't even recognize or realize that they're actually being marketed to and that's the nice thing right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah because then that's when authenticity and uh, you know people then believe in the brand because they're exposed to it in a way that's not in your face and you know just like i always think of like used car commercials like where people are just in your face and it's just loud and obnoxious but this is uh, like the the notion of the storytelling and being able to you know have the experience that seems like it would be relevant to the viewer based on what they're watching what types of content they're absorbing that makes sense. I mean, you, you, the types of advertising that you can put on during the different programs and then be able to track it and know that people are watching it. That's, that's pretty, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, it's come a long way since the days that you were trying to convince people that they needed, you know, advertising on their mobile devices to now, you know, you can have it in front of you, like the, on the big screen that you mentioned. And yeah, we, we have two teenage boys in our house. And so sometimes, you know, you're seeing all kinds of screens going on in the same room at the same time. And now we've got better internet, but at some point there were some, you know, broadband battles between, uh, you know, who could uh, use the internet or not. 
But yep, it's uh, definitely shifting and people are utilizing screens. And then kind of the find me, follow me too. If you've seen an ad on TV and then now suddenly you see it on your mobile device and, you know, games and all the different tactics and tools that are out there now. And uh, it's, it's just fascinating. How do you think the the rules of the game where privacy and, you know, sometimes now the whole cookie war, how is that impacting what you're doing? Well, firstly, that there's a, really a lot in what you just said. So I, I think I want to want to pick on one point and I think I'll come back to privacy. You mentioned the word relevance and throughout our evolution as advertising media I, I think the one thing that remains consistent is that when you're relevant as a marketer seeking to make that connection with your audience, relevance drives effectiveness. So it could be as simple as, you know, for me, if, you, if you're serving me a pair of running shoes that are for women, you know, I, it's just not relevant. They're like I'm not buying that. Um, you could serve me the same ad, but for shoes that are actually relevant for me, suddenly it becomes a great opportunity for that brand to sell to me, right? And that, that's just a very simple example, but there, there are many, many examples. And so in the context of using data to ensure relevance, I think that's one of the big advantages of connected television versus the traditional version. Traditional TV arguably was just spray and pray. You knew as a marketer when you were buying TV that there was an incredible amount of wastage of just people who who are never going to be in market to buy your thing. And you just accepted it because there was not really any alternative. And I think yeah, and it's the- covered up by the word, oh, you need frequency. Yeah. <laughs> not the right reach, but you just need frequency. And then, you know, if maybe some of the people see your ad, you're doing good. Yeah. Not so- <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe we can touch on frequency within CTV because I, I think there's still advances to be made there. But within, within, within traditional TV, that wastage was incredible. Within connected TV you still get that high impact canvas, but now it's much more addressable. And that kind of leads us to the core of your question where you were saying, hey, look, privacy issues, PII, how does CTV play into it? It's actually one of the reasons why I leaned into connected TV. One of the beautiful things about CTV is you don't really need to know anything about an individual to be able to deliver relevant ads ads, as long as you have a good view on the content that a device is streaming. So do we know, are you a movie buff household? Maybe you're a news enthusiast, maybe you're a sports household. Knowing those viewership habits can incredibly enable you to tailor your messaging to be relevant. Um, It can tell you a lot and you don't need to know anything about an individual in order to do that. Um, Now, in the same breath, I will say, you know, for us, we have data clean rooms. We offer the ability for data partnerships to occur where you can commingle data in a privacy-friendly way. We enable all of that. But at its base level, connected TV is beautiful for its ability to connect with folks without having to even need to go down that privacy route. And one, one of the things we offer, and just to sort of give you a tangible example, because it's kind of ethereal what I'm saying, one of the things that we like offering, for example, is weather-triggered ads right? Like it might be sunny where you are, Ray, and it might be rainy where I am. And so that hardware store ad for you where it's sunny might be pool equipment, barbecues. For me where it's rainy, it might be leak sealant and, you know, things, the tarpaulins, things that relate to the rain. And you don't need to know anything about me or you. You just know that I'm in a a rainy environment. You're in a sunny environment. 
that's incredibly powerful and it eliminates a lot of wastage. That's the path we're on. Yeah. Just like when we want to advertise food right before lunchtime, you know, for a restaurant so that people, you know, get hungry and they're like, oh yeah, I just saw that and it was in my brain. So now I'm craving that Uh, particular type of food that was just shown to me. It's yeah, it's all about timing. And like you said, relevancy to the person that's viewing and then being able to know, I mean, it's genius because I can select my profile and get things, you know, suggested to me based on what I like to watch. Whereas if I'm signed into my husband's profile or one of my kids' profile, it's very, very different in the, you know, the viewing experience is very different as to what we get served. And it's, it's, it's almost kind of scary to think that they can get inside our, our minds and tell us what we think we want to hear, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, right now, honestly, I think, I think we address that personalization issue in, in a really, you know, with a really simple solve, simple yet effective solve. So take the hardware store example we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a rainy location. There's a sunny location. Right now, we would just have different ad units that are mapped to different data conditions. And, and weather is just one example, by the way. We can, there's a whole list of things that we can do, whether it's countdown to a big sports match. Um, there, there, there's a host of things. But the point is the ability to do that without uh, needing to know anything specific. And right now, it is mapping those executions to different um, situations. In the future, it's like, and, I'm, and by the future, that makes it sound way off. Probably in the not too distant future, we're okay. going to start doing things much more dynamically, where where the ad dynamically changes based off the data conditions. That is to say, it's not two, three, four, five different creative executions, but rather one creative execution that has a bunch of customizations about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, within digital environments, they've been doing this for years. So wireless companies loved it. Where and I, I must admit I've used this example recently, but but I like it and it's true. Wireless companies might know you're in the Apple ecosystem and maybe I'm in the Android ecosystem. So maybe your ad shows an iPhone and my ad shows an Android phone. That just makes mm-hmm. sense. But they're not different executions. The offer, the visual, the copy, it all changes dynamically based off the data points that they know about a given user. And and that's where I think CTV is heading in the in the future. That's great. Yeah, they've got it dialed in. And the more you do it, the better it seems to get. The more the machine learning is learning what you are, (laughs) what your habits are and and all the things. That's amazing. What do you think, since we're talking a little bit in the distant future, near distant future, I guess, or just the very near future, what do you think is really trending? And it's going to, you see that's going to happen more and more, I mean, the dynamic ads, but how do you think brands will respond to having all of this now ability to do like we're talking about where they can serve up the ads? I mean, do you think creative is going to change or how people, you know, create the the ads themselves? I mean, what do you think is going to trend up in the near future? Yeah, I, I think that it comes back to generative AI, and I know that's a super hot topic right now. People will, will mention those words in a, in a bunch of different scenarios. But I, I kind of have an interest in artificial intelligence and I have so for a few years. One of the things that's really interesting about it is humans' lack of ability to understand how quickly it's coming on. Like we, we tend to like to think of things as having linear growth. 
And so you'll hear people say, oh, yeah, in 20 years, it's going to completely transform everything. It's happening at such an exponential growth rate. Like literally in one year from today, we will, we will have generative AI capabilities that would astonish us right now. And that's the rate at which this is changing. And so for a marketer, one of the things, and we're, we're starting to do this, but as an industry, the, the tools aren't fully there, but we're very, really very close to it. But we're starting to use generative AI for building some of our ad units. And what happens there is you can suddenly much more quickly, much more easily generate a bunch of units, and then you can just A-B test them. And what you can do is just dial up the ones that work harder than the ones that do not, which of course you dial down. And I think it's just going to speed up this information flow process because we can build them so much more quickly. We can test them and then just use the ones that work and then use that information to inform the next creative iteration. And so I think most people would tell you, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a distant future thing. I, I think it's imminent. Um, we're starting to try and play with it. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm not going to pretend like it's fully decoded at this moment in time. But if we speak again in a year, I bet you we're doing that with full force. Yeah, I keep saying it still takes HI to use AI, human intelligence <laughs> to use artificial intelligence for sure. I mean, and proof is there when ChatGPT first launched, they had so many people trying to get on it and use it that it crashed the system, you know, and it had some little quirky things, quirky things about, hey, sorry, we can't, you can't use this right now. And then it would have some little, you know, poem or rhyme, but it generated itself just to say, we'll get you on when you can. But yeah, people are very interested and fascinated and testing it out. And, and some people are using it for good to be able to hone in their messaging, hone in their ability to in, you know, get better at SEO because now it's using computer language to understand what is going to work and what those keywords are, all the things. But you do have to be careful because sometimes the information it spits out isn't always 100% accurate. So I think that, you know, fact checking and making sure that the information that it's getting supplied is good because it's only going to be as good as what you put into it, right? Well, I mean, and, and maybe this is a good opportunity to go on a slight tangent. Sure. Um, you, you, you talked about the requirement for human intelligence in order to be able to effectively leverage AI. I think the window of time where that's true is quickly coming to an end. Um, and there's one, there's one really well-known example that, that for me really illuminates this. And again, if I'm really honest, I, I must admit I used this publicly recently, but also, again, this is just true and I think relevant to this current conversation. Yeah. Um, the, the one that stands in mind is Google's AlphaGo. Are you familiar with, with the AlphaGo thing? I've heard of it. I haven't used it. I know about BART, but I haven't. Um, I've okay. heard somebody else talk about it, but I'd be curious to hear your take for sure. Okay, so a few years ago, Google decided they were going to make a bot that plays the game Go, which is widely renowned as basically being the most complex game on earth. It, it's <laughs> it, it, basically there are infinite moves. So unlike a game of chess where there are there are a statistically finite number of moves, this game Go has no end to the potential number of moves. So what they did when they created AlphaGo, they fed it a bunch of human training data. And essentially, some of the best humans on earth playing each other, they put the games in there, the artificial intelligence learned. Ultimately, this AI played the world champion and it beat the world champion. So wow. it was like, hooray, hooray for the machines. But predictive. The thing, using the predictive. Thing, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
The thing that really captures my attention based off your, your HI comment is, so that was it using human inputs. So sometime later, Google said, okay, we're going to create another version of this. It's called AlphaGo Zero. This time, rather than feeding it human training data, it is, we essentially just said, here's the rules of the game, go for it. And essentially was compelled this AI to just play itself over and over and over again until it really understood the dynamics, until it just kind of did it. Again, we, this time, Google did not give it any human training data. So ultimately, it, it learns how to play the game. They then played AlphaGo Zero versus AlphaGo in a 100-match uh, contest. And AlphaGo Zero won 100 to zero. Wow. And, and so when we talk about this, I think we need to acknowledge that literally as humans, we do not possess the intelligence to understand where it's going. Um, but B, the thought that it just needs us is probably not true. And so that was just one example of many that really stuck in my mind that like we're, we're on the cusp of a new era of human productivity and it's going to be AI driven. And I think it's going to do things that we can't really foresee. It's going to be crazy and scary at the same time, if you think about it. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's exciting, though. Like there are there are examples. So there was one study coming out of um, UC San Francisco where they used an AI model to uh, to essentially look at radiology scans. And they were able to pick up Alzheimer's um, on an MRI six that they being the artificial intelligence program was able to pick up the Alzheimer's signs six years earlier than a human clinician with the same degree of accuracy. Six years is, is a long time for potential preventative measures, et cetera. And so like, you know, I I don't think I'm not necessarily in the camp of, of like a terminated to doomsday scenario, but I am in the camp of it is so powerful. It's hard for us to understand. Maybe it can find a cure for Alzheimer's then. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now it's time for a message from one of our partners, KitCaster. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand? And KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. We've had several guests from KitCaster on the Marketing Expedition podcast as well. So if you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. Go to kitcaster.com expedition to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. Okay, so let's shift gears just a little bit. I want to know the types of people that you like to work with. I know we mentioned some Fortune 500 companies and brands and stuff that are brands that you work with, but for you as a CMO, what is it that is like the favorite, most ideal kind of client for you? And you don't have to drop names if you don't want, but like, who is it that you're looking for that you haven't got to work with yet that you think would be the most ideal type of client that could really benefit from using the CTV platforms and all the things that you have been working on and putting together at LG Ads? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to flip that a little. I, I think about it a little differently. So for me, it's always about the people that 
that are using and, and having these experiences, these content experiences and these art experiences. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and, and we recently did a piece of research called the big shift that looked into this transformative period and, and make no mistake, like the last three years have been completely transformative in terms of how people consume television. And mm-hmm. so if you rewind to 2020 with the onset of the pandemic, that was a moment of mass adoption. You had you had a lot of people following stay-at-home guidance. They were at home. They were watching more television. They started mm-hmm. watching more streaming television. But like in the context of your question where you're saying, hey, like what, what can marketers get out of this? At least that, that's kind of how I, I choose to interpret your question. Back mm-hmm. then, it was largely the subscription-based model. So you pay your fee, you get your content. There are no ads. Right now in 2023, and we call it the big shift. The first phase of the big shift was this phase of adoption of streaming. Right Mm -hmm. now, the second phase of the big shift is leaning into these ad supported models. And so what's happened over this period of time is, you know, households and people, they had one, two, three subscriptions in the past. Now there's five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe more. And with that comes a big cost. And so people are saying, look, I don't want to pay more for more content, but I do want more content. And so what you're seeing now is the rise of what we call fasts. That's free ad supported streaming television. So for example, on uh, on LG TVs, if you have an LG TV, there's this thing called LG channels. There are 300 plus channels. It's a cable like experience and it's all free because it's ad supported. And there are other examples out there. Like the Super Bowl commercial, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl or saw the Tubi commercial, but yeah, it's definitely there and very prominent and people are watching it more now. And it was a frustrating commercial though, because you know why it made it appear that somebody changed the channel from <laughs> away from the Super Bowl. And so then everyone in the whole entire world is looking for the remote and said, who changed the channel and like figured out, oh, <laughs> it's just an ad. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, Tubi is one, you know, one client of ours, one partner of ours. It was funny. I was, right. I was recently at, a, at an event with their CFO, Raza, and he, he was sort of talking about that and how that, that execution has been a, a real success for, for their company. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I just think that that comes down to the creative and the storytelling part. And I, I, I kind of liked how they told the story. And at the same time, I think many will acknowledge, it. you know, everyone thought someone was sitting on the remote and that's kind of part <laughs> of the beauty of it. Um, it was very memorable, right? And it worked. It was definitely something that everyone can relate to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then, you know, I guess that brings us back, you know, we're talking about ads. What, what we find right now is about 80% in the US use some form of ad supported CTV. Again, remembering in 2020, that that's going to be that percentage was was going to be very low, maybe a near zero percent. Obviously, there were some offerings in their infancy, but um, now for there to be 80 percent use, with 63 percent saying they actually prefer the ad-supported streaming content, that's a pretty seismic shift in perception. And so, when you say like, "Hey, who would you like to work with? Who is this a benefit to?" The fact that the that the general zeitgeist has dramatically shifted to embrace these ad-supported models um, mm-hmm. because we offer the ability to have the content you want with relevant advertising experiences and doing so at scale, anyone who's interested in connecting with their audience on that bigger screen in the home in that way, 
I think could stand to benefit from us. And for us, we, we talk about it as having a, a direct-to-glass solution. So with ACR, one of the things maybe I wasn't super clear about earlier when, when we were talking about automatic content recognition, we, we essentially can see the full picture. So we have viewership habits, whether it's linear, whether it's um, native CTV, uh, that is the CTV capabilities natively built into the TV, or whether it's an HDMI device, like a gaming console or some other type of streaming console, yeah. we can see the complete picture and then help you create a targeting footprint within CTV. So it's almost like total picture in, CTV out. And that's one of the really cool things about this moment in time. Yeah. Well, and it, it kind of is interesting because the free ad-supported streaming like TV and LG channels and all the others, it kind of makes it where... Maybe I don't need to pay for Netflix. I don't need to pay for, you know, all of these other ones because I can go to these ad supported ones and get very, you know, quality programming just as much. But because they're ad supported, I don't have to pay for all of these extra streaming devices and, you know, Paramount and all the things because all of them are still already having ads anyway. Netflix went to ad supported as well. And so did Disney plus, I mean, yeah, sure. I can pay a premium to get rid of ads, but it's almost like it's, it's been accepted now that, Oh yeah, I'm going to end up watching an ad. No big deal. I can take a little break if I need to. And, you know, of course we don't want people to walk away from the ads, but it's, it's like a little break in the moment in the show. And I think it's just, since we've grown up with ads, even on regular television, People understand that's how things get paid for. And I'm wondering what the impact will be as they start to continue to have more ads in those paid, you know, even though they're a little bit less, but if I, you know, do the VIP edition of Hulu or premium or whatever it is, then I don't have to have ads, but even some of them, they still, like I was, I can't remember what it was I paid for. And I thought we were at the premium and they still had this programming is brought to you by XYZ. And then they still had like an underwriting message and they still had ads in it too. I was like, Hey, I thought I paid for the premium. So I think people can't get away from it even if they wanted to. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think the, the key is just consumer choice. So right now, uh, people have more choice than they ever have before in that mm-hmm. if you don't want ads, you can you can have an entire slate of subscription-only units. You're going to pay more, but you can do that. Or if you just want a free experience, there's now an abundance of content, like I said, on LG channels mm-hmm. and other platforms mm-hmm. that you can have for completely free. And then, of course, there's these new hybrid models, essentially ad-subsidized subscriptions, where you pay a little less, but you're going to get some ads. And the fact that they have these choices, I think, is a win for the consumer. Now, you were also saying, hey, some people are starting to dial down how many subscriptions they have. Well, we're seeing evidence that that's true. And we, we call what, what we're observing, we call subscription cycling. And so what people are telling us they're doing is rather than having the full slate of every single subscription in a given moment in time, they might just have one or two active. They binge what they want, and then they cancel mm-hmm. it and move on to the next one. And that's I am guilty as charged. I do that too. We wanted and- to watch. I think it was Yellowstone, or not just Yellowstone, but the other, you know, eighteen eighty three or whatever the other brands. So then mm-hmm. we ended up with Paramount for a while. And then I was like, oh, we still have this. I didn't know. I'm like, well, we're not watching it. We'll cancel and then come back to it when we want it. But you're absolutely right. I think people are using that. What did you call it? Subscription 
Yeah, subscription cycling. So cycling, cycling. Yeah, subscription cycling. Yep, I'm definitely right in that <laughs> range. But yeah, and, and the interesting thing is, is you know, we dumped cable years ago. We don't have cable TV because we have all these other subscriptions. And it just, it shocks me when people still say they have cable TV. I'm like, why do you do that? You don't need it. You can get the same programs on all the stuff that you can subscribe to instead. Well, yeah, it's, you know, and then they say, well, it costs less to do cable TV. I was like, well, no, because you only have to pay, you know, $9.99 a month or $14.99 a month. But then you realize that you've added them all up and you're like, oh yeah, I guess I am paying more than cable TV. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think I think the last bastion of linear, though, is sports. And mm-hmm. even that is not as holy grail untouchable for linear as maybe it used to be. Now, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there's debate over the success, but you, you saw you saw Amazon's move with the NHL for Thursday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's starting to happen. And what I find interesting, even though there's debate over the, the viewership versus linear, is what almost what we're not observing. And that is people being afraid that the game is going to freeze or, or some sort of technical mm. issue, which I think used to be the fear. And so now that we're over that, I think you're going to start seeing more and more of these services be available for streaming. I mean, for me, even I, even if I do have access via cable, I must admit sometimes I just use the streaming app anyway because mm-hmm. I don't even know what channel number it is. I don't know how to find it. It's going to take me 10 minutes to figure it out or I could just stream it. You know, so I think there's also the discoverability. Yeah, we have our Google Home. So I can just say, you know, okay, Google, turn the TV on and put on whatever I want it to. And it does it for me, right? And you're right. I don't even have to find the remote. I don't have to struggle with trying to figure out what channel or what streaming service or whatever, right? And that is the nice thing about having an LG TV, by the way. Not that I'm getting paid to promote it, but <laughs> it does connect well and it works together. And yeah, and plus like other people who have Alexa or any of those devices, you can just talk to it and it'll tell you, it'll do it for you, which is amazing. Yeah, the voice services are amazing. That's actually a really good point. Completely agree. Yeah. Voice optimization is good. So if you, you know, want to be the first one, you have to optimize, not just search engine optimization, but now voice search optimization. And we talked about that. Um, Anyway. Uh, Okay. So I want to know what kind of resources or information do you follow or listen to or read that keeps you in up to date with the latest and greatest in your industry and what you're up to and what you want to know more about what kind of things do you subscribe to or, um, you know, get in your inbox or mailbox? Uh, I think that is an incredibly difficult question for me to answer. So bear in mind, I, I'm, a, I'm a CMO, communications, you know, aka at least one part of communications, also known as public relations. So I kind of read everything. Uh, I'm also lucky enough to have a PR firm. They give us summaries from all across the industry. But, um, and, and again, I, I don't want to play favorite, so I won't name check anything, but I, yeah, I, yeah we, I, I read everything. That's how I start every day. Um, I must admit, what, what I will say is I, I do try to like focus not just on industry, but also broader trends. And then sometimes mm-hmm. I also just try to keep my eye on not just the current news cycle, but where are things going. And so then that takes you to services more like an e-marketer, for example, where it's, 
It's not just what's happening right now today, what's happening this week, but also projections, what's happening into the future. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's like, uh, maybe my answer is uh, all of the usual suspects, but just probably a longer list than your average bear, plus Mm -hmm. some of those forward-looking predictive pieces uh, I I enjoy. I know we're on a podcast now, but are you a podcast subscriber? Do you tend to listen to podcasts at all? You know, like my podcast listenership, uh, this, this is kind of sad is kind of mapped to my workout program so um you know when i'm in season for triathlon training i I listen to a lot of podcasts when i'm not training (laughs) i I listen to fewer and so it's a it's a measure of how much i'm working out because that that's kind of like one of those few moments where it's like uh, available time for for something but the answer is yes with you know ups and downs throughout the year depending on whether i'm i'm running biking a lot uh, that makes sense. When we first started the pan- during the pandemic, I mean, I've been podcasting for probably eight years off and on, never really consistently until we started seeing our numbers just climb. And I thought originally, oh, well, no one's going to be commuting anymore. So they're not going to l- want to listen to the podcast as much. And boy, was I wrong because mm-hmm. our numbers just skyrocketed. And so then we went, went to weekly and they just continued to grow because even though people were at the time, you know, commuting from their couch to their kitchen, they consumed so much more and that trend is still upward. I mean, it, people want information. They want to hear from people. They want to know what's going on in the industries and in our industry and specifically. And so we really saw a shift in the pandemic. I guess there's some silver lining to the pandemic, right? That That's one of the things, right? In your industry where more people are streaming and watching TV, it really opened the doors for people consuming so much more than what they did before. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I listen to podcasts. Um, I'm kind of, you know, hit and miss. Maybe I'm driving, maybe I'm commuting. Uh, maybe I'm trying to clean my house, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, pay attention to something while I'm just doing mundane tasks. That always helps the way I'm multitasking, but, you know, don't have to think while I'm trying to listen. But um, yeah, it's interesting to, to see how things have shifted and what people are doing now to consume their information. Um, and you know what? I even found out that I can put podcasts on my TV now because mm-hmm. I did ask Google to to queue up and it actually put it on the TV. So I was like, okay, well, this is fascinating. Now we have yet another way to listen to podcasts. <laughs> I love it. And what, what yeah. I love about your your statement there is that that transformation in podcast listenership basically coincided with what we were talking about earlier, that first yeah. phase of the big shift towards streaming subscription mm-hmm. during 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. There was, there was a really clear pattern. There was about a three-month period where podcast listenership fell off a cliff. It just mm-hmm. disappeared into nothing. And then exactly as you said, people found a new place for it in their life where it wasn't just commute or working out. It it, it was like, oh, no, I really want this content, so I'm now going to consciously carve out time and listen to it. And it was almost the exact same window of time that we were observing earlier, or at least what we were talking about earlier with um, connected television. Yep. Well, and the fascinating thing is now younger people are listening more and more than before which is kind of fun because that's where they can grow and learn and, and get resources or tell stories. Well, true crime though, that's like the one category that has exponentially exploded. But uh, anyway, okay. So a couple more questions and we can kind of wrap up here, but um, I want to know what are some things that 
you see that have worked for you in your company specifically, since we are going on a marketing journey. And I know that in my audience, I not only have marketing professionals and those types of people, but I also have other advertisers and agency owners uh, that listen as well. And so I want to know what, what kind of things are working for you, aside from being on this podcast today, of course, but what are you doing to get the message out about what you do for the types of people that you serve from a marketing perspective? So tell me, take me on your marketing journey and what have you done to help grow the company, help grow LG ads? Yeah. And it's worth just laying out there for your listeners. Uh, remember we are a B2B. So our audience is basically uh, marketers and media planners. So the CMOs and media planners are kind of who, who, engages with us the most. Now, mm-hmm. you're not the only folks, but think of that as the audience. And so for us, there's there's a number of streams. Like I'm I'm really, so firstly, I'm and I've been on record saying this, so I don't mind putting it out there, even though it, it does give our competitors some sort of insight. My rally cry for my team this year is I want us to win the thought leadership war. Mm-hmm. And there is a war going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when we talk with some of the best marketers on earth right now, they're like, they're not asking us, should I do CTV? Should I do ad supported CTV? They're asking us, how can I do it? Well, how can I do it better than others? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, earlier we referenced some data from the big shift. We've got studies around enhanced ad units, different audiences. For me, what I want to do right now is educate the market. I want I want to arm them with what they need in order to know how they can engage with the medium that we offer so that they can get a competitive advantage over their competitors. And so right now, certainly for, for this calendar year, everything we do, even though there's a huge long list of how we execute, um, ladders up into that. And then Again, I'm not going to I'm not going to list everything we do because it is so extensive. But I'm happy to share the framework via which I think about marketing. I think about it as brand demand and field command. And so, brand is all of those efforts that, for us, LG Ad Solutions props us up as a player in the ad supported connected TV space, as an expert, as a trusted advisor, which we we do for many of our clients. We give them guidance based off our expertise. All of those things ladder up into building brand, which is not what we say it is. And I think a lot of marketers get this wrong. Brand is is the mental space we occupy in our target audience. It's what they think about us. That's what our brand is. And all we do is a bunch of things to try and shape how we want to be perceived. But at the end of the day, it's on the the recipient, on the audience. That's brand. Um, Demand demand generation. sometimes called lead lead generation. Demand gen is a really big part of this as well. So whether it's thought leadership pieces that are driving downloads and, and capturing new contacts and new people who might be interested in the space we're in, um, there's a bunch of activities right now we're leaning into thought leadership as our lead magnet. And so we do that a lot. And then field command is, is maybe one for, for consumer marketers where they, they might be like scratching their head saying, you know, well, what do you mean by that? By that, I mean, in the field, it's it's all of those things that we do to support our sales and AM teams, right? Mm-hmm. So whether that's that's presentation collateral, whether that's narratives that we build, all of those things help us um, have command of the message in the field. And, you know, um, we do all of these through, you know, comms team, product marketing team. Um, we have a sales marketing team, you know, design all of the usual parts of a marketing team that you would you would expect. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's how we, we think about it. So um, it's brand, demand, field command is how we execute. I like that. And I like the iteration of the words and how it all comes together. It makes mm-hmm. sense. And field command, immediately I was thinking, you know, it's the execution. It's getting people to do what you want them to do after they know about you and the brand. So I get that. And and that's beautifully said. Thank you for, for sharing that for sure. Cool. Um, okay. So what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a similar career that you have that maybe wants to become a CMO? I, I also teach at Boise State. Um, I'm an adjunct and I teach marketing. So I've got, you know, I just had a class graduate in May and they're always, you know, kind of wanting to know what's next for them. What kind of things can they do Is there in their career? So what advice would you give someone wanting to get into this space that you're in, whether it become just a CMO or become, not just, I should say, becoming a CMO, or is if it's somebody who wants to get involved in CTV or just, I don't know, what would you share with someone that wants to, to become in your industry? Yeah, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of people that are, you know, either early on in their career or, or not. Um, just on career development. And I've done this at several companies. It's something I like to do with people that I work with. Good. And I, I've observed this thing. And I, and I ask, you know, when, uh, whenever, certainly when I join a company or welcome someone new into my team, I usually have a conversation just to try and understand their career aspirations. And this is separate from the interview process. This is, you're working for us. Let's, let's have a conversation about where this is going. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed when I ask people, okay, what do you want to do? Literally, literally of the hundreds of people that I've asked that question of, only one person has ever immediately said this, I want to do this thing. She said, I want to be a CEO. Um, and no one else had that. And so usually what I do is I say, okay, we'll go away, think about it. And then, you know, we'll, we'll come back, we'll, we'll continue the conversation. And people usually do, and they usually come back with something very thoughtful. And I've noticed just through this process that A, most people by default haven't really set a goal. They haven't really set a finish line. And it's kind of hard to get to the finish line if you don't know what it is. And so I would say that's challenge one, whether it's, you know, you want to do something like me or whether you want to do something completely different. I think your first step is to set it. Um, I also observe something else when, you know, when you're working with people who are in that mode, I also notice there tends to be a bit of resistance at that point to committing. And it's like, you might choose, um, you know, you asked me about CMO. So maybe their target is, okay, I want to be a chief marketing officer, but they don't want to lock it in because they're afraid they might change their mind in the future. Mm-hmm. And so the advice I typically give people is like, look, you know, you need to lock something in, but also give yourself permission to change it in the future. But you just can't move forward if you're just sort of perpetually oscillating around where you want to end up. So set a goal, start working toward it. And if during the process of working toward it, you change your mind, that's fine. Set a new goal, change your mind. Um, but I, I noticed that some people do get paralyzed by not wanting to lock it in and you, you kind of don't have to anymore. Um, and so I think just doing those things, figuring out, you know, what is your goal and then rewinding in your mind as to how you might, might achieve it uh, and as well as actually committing to it, I think are, are the basic things anyone needs. I think that's a good, solid piece of advice to to share. And I think for those of you listening, trying to figure out what you want to do, <laughs> it's good to to learn from others who've been there and done that. So thank you for sharing. 
Okay. So last question for you. What, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about what they can do with you and CTV or, you know, all the different ways that they can uh, promote their brand, how can they do that? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the thought leadership that I mentioned is available on our site, which is lgads.tv, lgads.tv. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I, I must admit, I don't really use Twitter anymore. I, st- I do have an account, but if you, if you want to reach out to me and you don't have my contact details, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm Tony Marlowe, and I am there and active. Excellent. Okay. Last words, any parting words or anything that you'd like to summarize or kind of like maybe I didn't ask you yet that you wanted to share or um, just sort of wrapping up our conversation. Anything else that you'd like to say, Donnie? No, like I think right now, connected television, particularly ad supported connected television is where so many eyeballs are going to. And then I think you've got this convergence and we, we sort of went on the tangent around artificial intelligence we've got this convergence of AI offering the potential to make better ways of connecting with people. So I think there's literally not a more exciting space over the next 12 months or so, certainly not for what I do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, if there are people considering coming in into the connected television space or the marketing space, they would be things that I would consider. I think it's a really exciting time to do what we do. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me and dropping all kinds of good nuggets that you did today and having this wonderful conversation and sharing with us your world. I appreciate you, Tony. Thank you. Uh, Ray, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And for those of you listening, the best thing that you could do for Tony and I is share this with others that you know that need to hear what he had to say today. And of course, podcast reviews are like gold to us. So give us a review, tell us what you think and reach out to us. If you do the review, I have been giving shout outs to those who have. So give us a review and I'll give you a little shout out and plug too, just because I want to return the favor. So thank you. And uh, all right, everyone, until next time, enjoy your marketing journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.